What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today, we celebrate Children's Sunday, a day where we highlight the ministries we've had with the children of our church and nursery school in the last year. In 1965, folks from here at Grace made the commitment to open a nursery school that would minister not only to the needs of the church, but also to that of the wider community. Sunday school is available every week here, not just to give parents a break from their kids, and let's be honest, sometimes you need a break from your kids, but to help young people grow in their faith. We are working to transform children's lives from self-centered to other-centered, from meaningless to meaningful, a meaning found in God. It happens not just from wishful thinking, but through hard work from parents and teachers and church members committed to the way of Christ. We're going to hear our scripture for today from the book of Genesis, read by Carol. It's the very beginning of Abraham's story as he is called by God. At this point, his name is still Abram before God gives him a new name. And at 75 years old, he is getting quite the wake-up call. Let's listen to the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will also curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that he had gathered and the persons whom he had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the north, to the oak of Morah, and that time the Canines who were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar from, to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country, the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and evoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages towards Negev. Matthew chapter 9 verses 10 through 13, and as Jesus sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. As we reflect on how we treat the children of our church and community, deepen our commitment to you. 
Help us to bless the world like Abraham. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was young, I remember going to the promised land. I I don't mean Israel, though. Uh, When I was little, the promised land was grandmom's house out in California. I didn't see grandmom very often, but when I did, she showered us grandkids with gifts and toys and candy. When I was five, I spent a week with her. To this day, I'm still not sure why I alone was picked to fly out to visit her and not my brothers and sister, but I got to swim every day, visit Disneyland, and see a panda bear in the San Diego Zoo, which was really rare in the 80s. It was a little kid's dream come true. A few years later, the whole family went to California again. Typically, my family growing up didn't have any money for big trips like that, but this year was different. Our family had just had a house fire. It was a terrible thing. No one was hurt, but it was scary and forced us to live in a hotel for months, putting our lives in turmoil. The one good thing, though, was the outpouring of love from friends and family. So many people stepped up to help in that time. It was amazing. That and a little insurance money meant we could go back to the promised land for my aunt's wedding and to see grandma again. We have a photo of our extended family in this ancient oak tree that always reminds me of our time out there. To this day, California holds a special place in my heart. Both my grandparents are buried in the Naval Cemetery in San Diego, and any visit there draws out these special memories that simply cannot be replaced. Though I don't ever plan on living there myself, in my mind it is an idyllic paradise, a place that holds all the promises of the future. We all have places like this. Maybe they are physical places like on the beach of a tropical island or traveling somewhere in Europe. I know Nancy, who volunteers in the church office, remembers fondly her travels to Europe. She calls it her college degree in travel when she saw Italy and Greece and even Israel. They are memories she'll never forget. For others, the promised land might be more of a mental place when you are with someone you know who loves you unconditionally or have that quiet time alone, maybe in the forest or on a mountaintop. What could compare to that bliss? Yet we also struggle with all the other time, all the other parts of life not in the promised land. On this Children's Sunday, I can't help but think of our parents who are working day in and day out to raise their young children. How tough it can be to just stick with it, to keep control, to keep your cool when young people can be so persistent, so resistant to your instruction. It can feel like instead of the promised land, you are stuck in the desert for years on end. That's not the promised land we imagine for ourselves, is it? What do you do when you are stuck looking for and longing for the promised land, but instead you're getting something entirely different? What do you do when you simply cannot get the thing you're looking for in life? In the story of Abraham, we see something of this struggle toward uh, arriving in the promised land. Most of Genesis is about his journey there, but it starts in a very unexpected place. Abraham lived in Ur, which today we think of, uh, is probably in Iraq. It's probably not the first place you think of as a promised land, but Iraq was actually a far more modern place than Israel. If you're going to dream of being anywhere in the world back then, that was the place to be. And yet, Abraham leaves. 
He goes from Ur to Haran in Turkey, where his family, his land, and his heritage was. And yet he gives all, all this up again to travel to Israel. Now, many of us might agree, if we felt like God was calling us to a new place, to a new job or a new situation, we would say, God, if you tell me to go, I'll go. But look what God says to Abraham. He says, go to the land that I will show you. Abraham doesn't even know where he is going when he agrees to go. He is giving up his home and inheritance, forfeiting everything simply because God said go. And that reminds me of a, a joke by Paul Brown who says, show me a man who is a good loser and I'll show you a man who is playing golf with his boss. That seems about right to me. Who wants to lose on purpose? Who just gives up what they have worked so hard for, right? When Abraham leaves his home, I can hardly imagine he envisions himself going to the promised land. Abraham is leaving a developed and safe community for what? He's heading to the Negev, which means dry land. Mostly this southern land is desert. In fact, the very next verse after where we stopped reading today says, Now there was a famine in the land. You don't say. He, he heads to this arid, dry place, and there's a famine. Wow, how about that? It seems to me that Abraham's choices are actually leading to a more difficult situation. This doesn't feel like God's blessing at all, does it? The next 13 chapters of Abraham's story in Genesis don't get much better. His nephew gets kidnapped. He has what, he would, what we would call today an illegitimate child complicating family dynamics. He lies to people uh, about Sarah being his wife. Then when he finally does have a son in old age, God tells him to sacrifice the child. Thankfully, the child is spared, but it's traumatic to say the least. And finally, his wife Sarah dies. So much pain and suffering happens because Abraham leaves his home for this supposed promised land. This promised land is no trip to Disney World. It isn't at all what he was hoping for. It is way, way harder. And it seems to, uh, to get him very little in his own lifetime. The value, though, the great promise to Abraham isn't about his own life. Hear the scripture again. I will make you a great nation. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a future promise. Abraham doesn't become a great nation by himself. It takes generations and generations for that to happen. He has just this one child, Isaac, that the that the promise of God filters through. And then from Isaac, two children, Jacob and Esau. This is a very slow-moving promise from God. It's not until Jacob has 12 children that things really get moving. That's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel and ultimately thousands and thousands of Israelite descendants. It takes a long time to get there, though. Abraham doesn't even see the promise fulfilled in his own life. All he sees is this one child born. The promised land, then, is not necessarily something we see fulfilled in our own lives. It is something we aspire towards, something we aim for in the future. 
Jesus confirms this in the short little story from Matthew 13, where Jesus calls the tax collector, Matthew, to come and follow him. Then they have a, a dinner party. The religious types are mad at Jesus because he is hanging out with the wrong crowd. These are tax collectors. We may not like paying taxes today, but back then they were known as the worst of the worst, skimming off the top and shaking people down for more money. It was hardly better than outright theft. And Jesus is just hanging out with them? See, Jesus, he saw the promise of a future life, a changed life, even before it happened. He doesn't see the criminal or the cheat. He sees a person who is one day made whole. The New Testament uses a word to describe this possibility. It's, it's dunamis. It means power and is where we get the word dynamite from. Jesus is the one that makes a way, that opens a path for us toward a changed life. Jesus is the dynamite that propels us in a new direction. And at the end of this little story in Matthew, he quotes Hosea 6 saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What does he mean by that? He's saying we think it's the sacrifice of Abraham that made him righteous and makes him a model for us today. We think him giving up family and friends to pursue the call of God is what's most important. But that's not quite right. Sacrifice matters and sometimes will be required of us. But the bigger request, the bolder, deeper call of God is for us to show mercy. Show mercy. That means we are generous to the poor. It means we stand up for people who are oppressed. It means we do whatever we can for the benefit of that one single child. See, the promised land isn't so much about a place we go or even the sacrifices we make for a future generation. Those are important to be sure, but what Jesus points us to is a promised land where all people are treated well and everything is made right. It is nothing short of heaven here on earth, when the very thing God desires is exactly how it happens. God doesn't force it on us. We choose it. We desire God's will and make it happen, even when it is a far-off, distant thing. It may feel like we can't have God's will in this world today, but when we keep at it, like Abraham, knowing maybe it isn't today, maybe not in my lifetime, but one day, one day God's will is accomplished and we will bless the whole earth. And I think making that happen starts today. It starts with the children in our church as we do everything we can to raise them right. That doesn't mean they are clones of what we think and what we do. It means we pour everything God has given us into them so that they might respond to a future we can't even imagine yet. We want to encourage the spirituality of young people so that they would choose to love others and to show the same mercy that God would show. Some of you might think, well, I don't have children or my children are grown, so maybe you're not talking to me. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
One of the amazing things that uniquely happens in the church is how we are all, in a very real way, one big family. We are the children of God, and it's on all of us to help raise children in this church. It's our job together to form spiritual children. Now, that doesn't mean you get to yell at somebody else's kid when they are running in the church. Sorry to disappoint. It means you are obligated as a Christian and as a member of this church to help move things in the right direction. It means you are a good neighbor to that new family down the street from you, offering a helping hand and inviting them to come to church with you. It's being part of a small group or a Bible study. So when someone says, hey, will you come teach Sunday school? You don't say, oh, well, I don't think I know enough about the Bible. I can't teach it to others. Get ready. It's learning and growing right now to help others in whatever way you can. It's all of us pulling in the same direction to bless the world. When you keep doing God's work, you may not see the result today or tomorrow, but like Abraham, responding to the call means one day you will see and be that blessing. This past week I had the chance to see my son participate in his first musical at his elementary school. He declined to sing and dance and instead opted to be a part of the stage crew, but it was delightful to see all the students putting themselves out there, singing and dancing their hearts out for a crisp 32-minute performance. As they attempted to sing on key and do the right moves, everyone was delighted. It wasn't about perfection. It wasn't about getting everything just right. It was an act of mercy from the people gathered to accept that group of children exactly as they are. Heather Haverlevsky talks about something similar with her nine-year-old at a talent show. At first, she felt bad bringing her child and her friends in to perform. She felt like she was leading these little lambs to the slaughter of public humiliation, but that's not what happened. Instead, a breathy Les Mis ballad had microphone squeals. A horn player had a strange rhythm with a Star Wars song. Even her own girls were offbeat, one smiling but not singing, one singing but never smiling, and another moving in the opposite direction from the rest of the group, no matter how many times she was corrected in the practice ahead of time. All of it, though, led to what she described as a beautifully terrible recital. She cried and couldn't stop as her pride swelled for these little girls, no matter how off the performance was. Indeed, isn't that exactly how God sees all of us? We are all called to God's will in our lives, to love and to show mercy, even if it means we have to put aside our promised land to go show someone mercy. Whether we are able to answer God's call or not, whether we meet the standards of those around us or not, doesn't God see the potential, the possibility, the power in each one of us to eventually, one day, bring about that just and righteous world God has longed for since the beginning? Know that like Abraham, you are called. And may you answer the call, not with the perfect sacrifice, but with mercy for all of God's children. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.